Well, we're going to be reading a healthy amount of Scripture this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your phones, turn to 1 Samuels chapter 13 and 15. I'm going to be reading from the new, the NIV version, New International Version. But I also just want to thank and honour Pastor Sean and Linda for trusting me, one, to be part of the church team, but then also to preach the Word this morning. So I don't take that trust lightly. And thank you both for being a great encouragers in my life. So, And as we church, we love you, don't we? We love Pastor Sean and Linda. Uh, let me pray before we, we open the word this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather here this Sunday morning, Father, that when we and we can open your word together. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as we do open the word, that you would speak to each individual under the sound of the, my voice this morning. Father, those in the room, those watching online or on delay, God, Father, that your word would be alive, Lord, to them this morning, that it would be powerful, Father, Lord, that it'd be more powerful than a double-edged sword, Father, Lord, that you would speak your truth to us this morning, God, and Lord, that it would change the way that we, we make decisions, Father, and the way that we see you. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are finishing a series on uh, called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. We sometimes have regrets in life. We sometimes wish we did things differently, but we can't go back and change those things, but we can learn from them. We're not always going to get them right. We're not going to always make perfect decisions. But we, if we make better decisions, we're going to have fewer regrets. And God wants to help us make good decisions. God wants to give us wisdom. When we seek Him, the Bible says He gives us wisdom. He grants wisdom to those who ask for it. We can't change what's been done, but we can look forward and look to Jesus to, to, as our guide and friend in making decisions. So uh, better decisions fewer regrets. Last week, Pastor Sean um, preached, two, the last two Sundays, preached great messages. But last week in particular, this point really stuck with me. The foundations of good decisions is first and foremost, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. First and foremost, the best thing we can do to shape our decisions is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, to put Jesus first in all areas of life. Not just Jesus number one and then this number two, that number three, that number four, but in every area of our life that we would surrender our decisions to Jesus' Lordship, that God's will would always be greater than our own desires. And this has been the anchor verse that we've been uh, re re reflecting on throughout this series. It comes from Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 to 17. It says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What does it mean to be wise or unwise? Well, the Bible tells us what the beginning of all wisdom is. The beginning of the fear of what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, it says in Proverbs 9, 10. And fear as in a reverence. Not, not a vengeful, frightful fear, but in awe and wonder of God's goodness and of His greatness. That is the beginning of all wisdom. It's the beginning of good decision-making. Uh, it says we should ought to make the, uh, make the most of every opportunity. For whose benefit are we making the most of every opportunity? For every opportunity? To whose benefit? Ultimately, to God's glory. What does it look like to be foolish? It says don't be foolish. Well, the, ver the rest of verse 17 tells us Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
We're foolish when we don't seek out the Lord's will. We, we make foolish decisions when we haven't sought God's advice. We haven't surrendered our decision-making process to God's decision-making process. The foundation of good decisions is first and foremost surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. A healthy fear of the Lord, a surrender to His Lordship. That is the beginning of good decisions. But like I said before, sometimes we don't always make good decisions and we ought to learn from the times where we haven't made great, great decisions. We can also learn from those who uh, we've observed or seen in Scripture that didn't make great decisions. And so that's why I want us to turn uh, this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 15. And we're going to look at some of the decisions that King Saul was making. The first king, some of the decisions that King Saul was making. And I'm going to offer you four reflections as we go through uh, some of King Saul's story this morning. But I'm going to read, from you, read first from uh, 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 5. And it says this, The Philistines had assembled to fight Israel there, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash. I should have practiced all these words before I had to preach them this morning. Um, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gadad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and the troops with him were quaking with fear. The troops that were with Saul, they were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. King Saul is there, his troops are shaking, and now they're beginning to scatter. So because, uh, and he's waiting for Samuel, the Lord's prophet, to arrive, in order that Samuel might offer a sacrifice to the Lord before they go into battle. It goes on, so he said, bring me, this is King Saul now, bring me the offering uh, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul himself offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. How often we make a decision rash in the moment and then the divine uh, appointment or the, the, the thing that we we're waiting for actually comes to pass. So Samuel arrives and Saul goes out to greet him. <laughs> it's never a good greet. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling, I thought now the Philistines will come in against me and, so, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. When Samuel left Gilgal, he went up uh, to meet where Benjamin was and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> My first reflection for you this morning. Saul's decisions were based on the, were informed rather by the opinions of others. Saul's decisions were shaped by the opinions of others. The men were scared. The men were scattering. All of a sudden, Saul begins to doubt himself. He's looking at how others are responding instead of looking to the God. 
He's looking at how others are reacting to the situation instead of remembering the command that the Lord gave to him. Instead of standing on the word of the Lord, he's now surrendering his decision-making process to the opinions of others. Who knows that's a bad recipe for good decision-making. That is a bad decision-making process. And when confronted by Samuel, he says, he confesses this to us. Samuel asks in verse 11, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering. That was the beginning of his decision-making process. Not this is what the Lord told me, not going back to that promise I'd got from God, but the men are scattering. He was scared of being abandoned by others. And understandably so. He's facing off an enemy. But he became more concerned with the opinions of others than with God's word. How do you respond when people start to scatter? How do you respond when people around you start to doubt? Is your trust in the, uh, the, do you get your assurance from the opinion of others or do you get your assurance from your God? Because God's word has to be most important. My second reflection for you, God, uh, sorry, not God, second reflection, Saul excuses his bad decisions instead of repenting. Whoa. He made a bad decision. He knew he made a bad decision because Samuel rocks up and said, you've done a foolish thing. (laughs) He tells him, you have done a foolish thing. Saul offers a sacrifice to the Lord, even though he was not a priest or a prophet. It was not his God-ordained role to do that thing. He knew better. But when asked by Samuel, what have you done? He said, the men were scattering and you didn't come when I thought you were going to and the Philistines were assembling. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He refuses to repent. Instead of repenting, he's making excuses for his bad decisions. When charged with disobedience, he justifies himself and what he had done. He gave no sign of repentance for his bad decision. How do you respond when you're corrected? How do you respond when someone points out that maybe that wasn't the best decision? How do you respond when the Holy Spirit brings conviction? Do you accept that or do you excuse your behavior? Do I accept it or do I excuse my behavior? Do I boast in my cleverness or my solution or do I acknowledge my disobedience and repent? Maybe you think it's, it's not really a big deal. He just, he, just, he just offered one sacrifice, right? It was just a small thing in the scale of what he was facing and the, the pressure he was under, the, 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 the people that were looking to him. It's really not such a big deal, right? He just made one small mistake. Matthew Henry writes this in his, his biblical commentary on this passage. Our disposition to obey or disobey God will often be proved by our behavior in things which appear small. Men see nothing but Saul's outward act, which seems small. But God saw that he, did this, that he did this with unbelief and distrust in his providence, in God's providence, with contempt for God's authority and justice, with rebellion against the light of his own conscience. It's in the small things where disobedience can grab a, can grab a foothold. The small things, they matter too. It's not just the big things. So do you trust in God's word or do you trust, do you try and solve things by yourself in your way? The story goes on. This isn't the beginning of uh, what I would call Saul's bad day at the office. Uh, It it goes on in chapter 14 where Jonathan uh, ends up hearing from God and, and leading a charge, a victorious charge against the Philistines who were encamped there, Jonathan, Saul's son. 
Um, and then we, we move into chapter 15, where God gives Samuel another command to destroy the Amalekites. And God is explicit in saying, leave no one and nothing alive. God is explicit in his direction to King Saul, leave nothing and no one alive. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel 15 verse 7. And it says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites. He took Agag, the king, and the Amalekites alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But he took the king alive. But Saul and the army, they spared the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle. Leave nothing alive. He shared, they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Isn't it easy for the human eye to wander towards that which looks good? Easy for attractive things to lead to bad decisions. Goes on in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Samuel spent a whole night pleading for Saul. And see here, the rejection of sinners is a grief to believers. When God rejects the, when people, it ought to grieve us because God not, delights not in that and nor should we. Saul, Samuel was troubled by Saul's bad decision-making. The story goes on. Early in the morning, Samuel got, out, got up and went to meet Saul after he'd kept the king alive and he kept some of the cattle. But he was told, told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument to his own honor. And he has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. My third observation for you this morning. Saul ignored ignored the noise of the cattle. You know, it's gone really bad, actually, because he set up a monument to his own honor. This was no longer about him. He's, it's no longer about God. It's become about himself. His decisions are about his own honor, not bringing God honor. We're sure to make bad decisions if we're more concerned with our own honor than giving honor and glory to God. It goes on that he said, uh, when Samuel comes to confront him, Saul responds with, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what is the bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowering of cattle I hear? It's almost as if Saul's conscience has been seared. He can't even see the thing that he's doing. He doesn't even realize it's sinful. He's, he's, he's become, uh, he's almost built a habit of being disobedient. And now he no longer even hears the consequence of his sin. He no longer even sees the disobedience before the Lord because he's, he's got used to accommodating it. He tries to justify it again. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, but we destroyed the rest. See here that partial obedience is not obedience. Partial obedience is not obedience. And when we reflect in our own lives, can we admit to the fault in our decision makings? Are we honest with ourselves and honest before God? Because Saul instead, he boasts to Samuel of his obedience, but he hadn't been obedient. And sometimes sinners think that by justifying ourselves, we can escape the judgment of the Lord. 
But we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be, be honest with God about the bad decisions that we have a propensity to make. Can you admit to the bad decisions that you make? Can I admit to the bad decisions that I make? Because we see that a humble and sincere, sincere conscientious obedience to, God, obedience to God is actually far more pleasing than any burnt offering or sacrifice that we could give the Lord. There is nothing more he so desires than us to be obedient and loving and putting him first. Samuel, Saul, sorry, Saul ignored the noise of the cattle. The story goes on. This is the last piece of the story I want to share with you. After all this, Samuel goes, enough. Enough, Samuel says to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul replied. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Still, he can't see it. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gagal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as, in as, 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 as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of your Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Samuel said, sorry, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive me and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. What a bad few days in the office for Saul. <laughs> what a bad few days in the office for Saul. My fourth reflection for you. Saul commends his decisions instead of repenting. He refuses to repent. He, he boasts in his obey, obedience to the Lord's command. Remember, it was only partial obedience. He didn't fully obey the Lord's command and he's, he's commending himself in his decision-making. But after confronted by Saul, yet, sorry, after being confronted by Samuel yet again, gosh, why are they both have names starting with S? My brain can't compute. <laughs> after King Saul is confronted by Samuel, he finally does admit some wrongdoing, doesn't he? It's, uh, he, he Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. I was afraid of the men and I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me that I may worship the Lord. I'd put to you even here, it's not real repentance. Even here, he really fails to repent. There are several signs of hypocrisy in Saul's repentance. First, he asked Samuel only. He said, Samuel, please. 
I beg you, Samuel, forgive my sin. He's not, he's not seeking the Lord's forgiveness. He's not seeking God's forgiveness. He's trying to be in right standing in front of Saul's eyes, in Saul's eyes again. No, Saul is trying to be in right standing in Samuel's eyes again. Saul asked only Samuel for forgiveness. He seemed almost anxious to stand right in Samuel's opinion and to again gave Samuel's favour. It's not about God. It's still about the person standing in front of him. Second, he excuses his fault, even when confessing it. I was so afraid of what the men would think that I gave into them. The opinion of others, look, this is why I did it. Again, still, he's not repenting. He's not owning his decision. He's not owning his part in disobeying the Lord. He's still trying to excuse it. And third, all his care was to save his credit and to preserve his interests in front of the people. It looks pretty bad as king if God's prophet walks away from you. Samuel, come back with me, please. I need you to be with me when I worship the Lord in front of the rest of the kingdom. Samuel, please come with me. His repentance was not about uh, uh, repenting before his God. It was still about being in right standing in front of man. It's not, wasn't true repentance. And so when we apply this to our own lives, how do we respond when confronted with bad decisions? Do we make excuses? Do we blame others? Or do we learn from our mistakes? Oswald Chambers writes that when a man really sees himself as the Lord sees him, it's not the abominable sins of the flesh that shock, but the awful nature of the pride of one's own heart against Jesus Christ. Pride, the refusal to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is so often what leads to repeated bad decisions. When you repent, are you confronted by the pride of your own heart against Jesus? Because Saul, he wasn't able to be honest with himself in repentance before God. I'm going to invite the band to come back and uh, join me on stage. I've got one last reflection that I just can't get past and I can't quite put the right words around it. <laughs> but Saul rejected Samuel's rebuke. God actually sent Samuel to Saul a number of times to say, Saul, what you're doing is wrong. Saul, look, come on, like, mate, figure this out. <laughs> you're king. God gave you an instruction. Why are you not listening to him? When God sends Saul, when God sends Samuels to us, do we listen to them? When God brings someone along to you and ch to, to challenge you, to bring correction, to bring godly word, advice, and counsel, do you hear them? Because as we read on in Scripture, when King David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, his response was vastly different. He repented with a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. And it says in Psalm 51 that the Lord will not reject a broken and contrite heart, a truly repentant heart that God will, that God will not reject. And so when God brings people who bring gentle correction and rebuke, we ought to listen to them. God, give us eyes to see and hear the correction that you bring by the trusted leaders that you place around me and in my life. Moses and Jethro, the same thing. Jethro in the book of Exodus comes to Moses and says, Moses, what you are not doing, what you are doing is not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for the people. Moses hears that correction and he changes his behavior. When God sends his anointed to speak wisdom into our lives, may we hear it. May we obey it. May we obey it that we don't repeat bad decisions. We've looked a lot at our, how one can make bad decisions. But three reflections on how then do we make better decisions. One, listen to correction. 
May we pay attention when rebuked and may we repent and obey. Second, learn from your mistakes. It's okay to have not always had it together. None of us have always got it right. King David, who went on to be described as a man after God's own heart, he really didn't get it right, but he repented and God called him a man after his own heart. Third, finally, how do we make better decisions? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Problems in our decision-making arise when we forget God is God. When we forget that He is good, that He is loving, that He is kind, that He wants to help us make better decisions. It's odd that sometimes God's instruction doesn't look like it's going to plan. And so we doubt. Saul was sitting there waiting for Samuel to turn up and he wasn't turning up, so he began to doubt. And he foolishly put his own plan into action. It's funny, Jesus' death on a cross didn't look like a victory at first. In fact, it looked like a complete failure to all those who had been following Jesus up until that day. Sometimes when things aren't looking like they're going to work out, we scoff, we mock, and we abandon God's plan and we come up with our own and we end up with a few more regrets. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and the victory that He won on the cross that day, we begin to make better decisions. We begin to allow His Word to be a light unto our feet. He begins to guide the way of our decisions of our heart and our mind.